Hey everyone, uh, again, if we are just meeting, if you're jumping in late, my name is J.D. Mangrum. I have the privilege of being the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown. Thank you for being here today. Today we're in week two of a series of messages called Asking for a Friend. I love that phrase personally. It's right up there with dad jokes for me. I, I read one this week. If you're the best man at your friend's second wedding after also being the best man at his first wedding, is it okay to start the speech with... Welcome back, everyone, asking for a friend. Truthfully, we all have questions that we want answers to, but we can be embarrassed to ask. I, I feel that way a hundred different times, like uh, about a thousand different things, quite honestly. But when it comes to God, because we can't see God and we can't like reach out and grasp the things of faith, sometimes I think we have the most questions, like deep down in our gut, but we can be the most embarrassed to ask them or reluctant. We actually liked COVID-19 sort of Facebook Live Church because it's given people permission to come into church and maintain a level of anonymity. It's given them a place to come in and see and experience and even ask some questions. In light of that, I reached out a few weeks ago to several of you who are from New England. Many are from Charlestown or have lived here a long time. Most of those people were raised Roman Catholic. And I just said, listen, in light of what you've been seeing and hearing... Are there any questions that you might have? And so this series is birthed out of those questions. Now, for the people who've asked them, people who maybe have felt the things that they're asking, I just want to tell you we're on a journey together, and I know these are complex truths, but I want to give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, rooted in the Bible as best that I can. At the end of all of that, know that I love you, and as a church, we love you, and we're so grateful that you're here and that God is doing things in your life. So today's question is, is Jesus really the only way to God? I've heard this question asked so many different ways and reasoned through in so many different ways over the years. I've heard people say, how can Christians say Jesus is the only way? Or how can Jesus say he is the way, the truth, and the life? Who does he think he is? Or aren't all religions basically the same? Or isn't God like at the top of a mountain and all religions are just kind of mountain paths trying to help people get to the top? Today I want us to see in black and white in the Bible uh, and just in thinking and reasoning through what Jesus had to say. And I want us to think about logically what it would mean if that were true that Jesus was the only way to a relationship with God. Now before we get started, let me just acknowledge a few cultural realities that we need to talk through. One, I want to tell you, contrary to sort of what you may have heard, um, religion is as popular today as it ever uh, has been. The world is getting more religious, not less, especially Christianity and Islam, the world's two greatest, largest, fastest growing religious uh, religions. Statistically, atheism is not in style anymore, and it is uh, losing followers every year. The question globally is not, will religion win over atheism? But which religion will actually win? Will it be Christianity or Islam? Second thing I need to tell you, America is no less religious than it's ever been. 
Now, you might say, I disagree. It doesn't seem like that. The truth is, America and the West are becoming more secular. Now, secularism is when we divide culture and we we keep sort of the public life public and we take religion and we make it private. It's why so many New Englanders say religion is a private conversation. It's because America, particularly in the Northeast and in the Northwest, has become increasingly secular and we don't talk about those things as much. But America is no less religious than ever. Second thing I would point to that is to say many Americans are just as religious as they've always been. They've just replaced formal religion with informal sort of religion. So a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago or three thousand or five thousand people worshipped totems and statues and rivers and suns and moons and trees. And today we tend to not maybe always worship Jesus or Buddha or Allah, but we may tend to worship work or family or money or success or self or some other ology or ism that we deeply embrace. Because after all, a god is someone or something that is worshipped as having more than natural attributes and powers, specifically one controlling a particular aspect or part of reality. A god is something of supreme value. A god is something or someone that we adore, um, admire, and have made influential. When you look at it that way, America is an idol factory. We can churn out idols like the best, like nobody else with the best of them. The third thing I think we need to see is we need to confront the idea that all religions are equal. Truthfully, that, that's, an, that's an idea called religious pluralism. But we got to ask, are, are they really all equal? Like, do you remember the Branch Davidians in the 90s? Like, there were the people in Waco, Texas who set their religious compound on fire and all died. Like, do we believe that's really equal? Do we really believe that religions that practice child sacrifice or cannibalism are equal with the other world's major religions? Watch the CNN documentary series, The 70s, and look at the episode on the cults of that decade. What a weird 10 years of history as it concerns religions. Deep down, we don't actually, I hope, believe that all religions are equal, and we know it, and we need to confront it. The next thing I would say, just before we get going, is we need to confront the idea that uh, God is like an elephant, humanity is blind, and everyone touches a part of the elephant and describes part of it, but because of their blindness, that prevents them from seeing the whole elephant. I had an artist friend who presented this idea to me one time and, and just talked about as a Christian how arrogant I was for thinking that I understood. But there was an inherent arrogance in his assumption that he was in, in fact enlightened enough to see and that I was blind and couldn't see the full elephant. The person explaining it is assuming that he or she sees and everyone else in all religions, in all times, and in all history has in fact been blind. It's a very arrogant statement. We also need to confront the statement that's made to Christians that says saying Jesus is the only way is exclusive and arrogant. That statement is also very exclusive if you think about it. It's excluding Christians in the name of open-mindedness and, and tolerance and inclusivity, and that's a very arrogant thing to do. That statement is exclusive as well. It's, it's usually, but not always, in fact, actually done without considering the evidence for Christianity and the resurrection of Jesus. 
America's religion today isn't really one religion. It's more of a buffet or like a supermarket type of religions where people pick and choose the truths from many religions and they make up their own truth. We hear that you've got your own truth and then they collectively call it their faith. Of this approach, philosopher J.P. Moreland has written, when borrowing from a particular religion, we need to take the aspects of it we like, or excuse me, when borrowing from a particular religion, we take the aspects of it we like, and we pass over the parts that are too demanding or make us uncomfortable. Conveniently, God ends up looking exactly like the person who went looking for him. We create God in our own image, not the other way around. Are we qualified to create our own religious worldview? Few of us would feel confident performing surgery on ourselves or building our own computer from scratch. What makes us think we're qualified to create our own religious paths? Finally, listen, all religions just can't be equal. Their truths are too at odds. The Dalai Lama, not a Christian, a Buddhist, pretty open-minded guy. Most of us, even the non-Christians watching, would consider him to be a reasonable voice has said, among spiritual faiths, there are many different philosophies, some just opposite each other on certain points. Buddhists do not accept the creator. Christians base their philosophy on that theory. If life is a mountain and God is on top, the major religions would dispute exactly who's even standing at the top of the mountain to greet you when you get there. Hindus would say there could be thousands, if not millions of gods. Buddhists would say there's no one there to greet you. Uh, Jews would say the Lord Yahweh is there at the top of the mountain and he is one. Muslims would say that Allah is at the top and Christians would say there is one God uh, in three co-equal, co-eternal per persons, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, before we go to the Bible, we have to confront these talking points. We have to acknowledge that we embrace them or that our culture does, that the culture, God, uh, that that we're believing those things in the middle of culture and God has called us to follow him in that space. This is our world that we are following Christ in. Now, with that said, let me read John 14 and look at that statement that Jesus made in its context. John 14, verse 4, Jesus is winding down his earthly ministry. He's just hours from being arrested and then crucified and buried before he would rise again three Jewish days later. John 14, 4, Jesus is talking and says, And you know the way to where I'm going. He's talking about going off into heaven and into eternity. And Thomas, you know, the doubting Thomas, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It's a pretty bold statement. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. If your pizza guy or plumber says those statements, he's crazy. And in Jesus making these statements, he's either crazy, or he may be legit, and we need to explore his claim and all the evidence that sort of follows around him. In summary, Jesus is saying, I am God. 
I'm the only way to salvation, life eternal, life abundant. To know me is to know God, and to know God is, in fact, to know me. When you look at me, you see God with skin on. One can't know God apart from seeing and knowing Jesus. Let me pray and we'll dive right in. Jesus, honor your word. Speak to us. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. But God, convince and convict our hearts of that truth collectively and all the implications of it. We are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. When Jesus says he's the only way, he's not saying his teaching's the only way. Jesus wasn't first a good teacher. That wasn't his mission. Why? Because Jesus knew our greatest need wasn't for education or for enlightenment. When Jesus says he's the only way, he's also not, so not meaning that his example is the only way. Jesus wasn't first a, a model citizen or a Boy Scout or Mr. Rogers. Listen, people don't crucify Mr. Rogers. But being an example wasn't his mission. Jesus didn't come to set us a good example. Why? Because he knew our greatest need wasn't examples of how to be better. When Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, what he's saying is that he is God. And he's also said that he is God's son, revealing his lordship and casting himself as God, uh, who is a Trinitarian God, existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, the only way, he's saying, you need me. You need me to die on that cross for you because you need a salvation that you can't accomplish by your effort. And you know it. See, we know it. Our hearts tell us when we do wrong and our hearts tell us that we are not God and we need uh, his help. He did this because he knew we couldn't be morally perfect before a holy God and we can't cover our sin and the debt that it causes when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying, you need my resurrection because you need hope and victory and proof that I am who I said I am and I did what I said I would do. And he rose again because uh, he knew a, a death and a dead and buried Jesus um, in the tomb wouldn't really help us. And uh, just going on pilgrimages to see him in Jerusalem doesn't provide us hope for this life or the next. His empty tomb, however, proves he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is the way that we amen the hope that we have put in Christ. Listen, no other serious world religious leader claimed to be God. Go search all the major religions. Nobody does it. No other serious world religion has a leader dying for the sins of his or her people. In fact, the opposite is true. Most religions have the gods telling people, do more and do more and put more weight of guilt and condemnation and to-do lists on your back and giving people less and less and less peace and certainty with their God, including the religions, by the way, of secularism, pluralism, universalism, materialism, hedonism, nihilism, existentialism, or any other ism that is in fact a religion without formally being labeled as one. Thirdly, no other serious world religion has its founder rising from the dead. You can go to the shrine of Muhammad in Medina. You can go to find Moses, look for him on Mount Nebo. You can go look for Buddha in India. You can go look for Confucius, the uh, founder of Confucianism in Khufu, Shandong, China. 
You can go look for Joseph Smith. He's buried in Illinois, uh, the leader and the founder of the Mormon religion. You can go look for Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Science. She's really close. She's just right over in Cambridge. Uh, I can go to the burial places of the leaders of Hinduism, Sikhism, Zoroastrianism, and many, many more. We can go to the graves. I promise you, they will all be there, dead and buried and in the ground. But we can go to Jesus's burial spot. They say it's the tomb of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, and we won't find him. There's a great National Geographic special on it, uh, on whether or not that is, in fact, Jesus's burying spot. I promise you, he's not there. National Geographic would point to him. Or as the angel on the Resurrection Sunday said, why would we seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Like if you want to type out an amen, corny as it is, like I can just hear Rochelle's voice saying, amen, preacher. Like, listen, that is an amen kind of a moment. Skeptics will ask you to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. You have just as much right to ask them to prove that he did not, in fact, rise from the dead. The overwhelming body of literary, cultural, circumstantial, religious, social, and archaeological evidence points to Jesus rising from the dead, which would validate his claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one, in fact, does come to the Father except through him. So what do we do with that? Well, first of all, let me just make a confession. If it's not true, then Christianity falls apart. If Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life, doctrinally speaking, Christianity is worthless. But if it is true, uh, see, here's the thing. Doctrinally speaking, Christianity is either exclusive and the only way, or it's invalid and not worth following at all. Second thing I would tell you, if it's true, but there's another way, and three things are true. One, God is a cosmic meanie. He is a cruel and divine child abuser who killed his son when there were other less painful ways to a relationship with him. Second, Jesus would be a madman and Christianity would be totally invalid. He would be a lunatic. And then the third thing, if, if there was... Uh, if there are other ways to God and Jesus still had to die, then we are fools. You are better off closing your computer, turning off your television, turning off your phone, and go believe the buffet religion of believe nothing. Don't rock the boat. Don't waste your time. If there are multiple ways to God, quit it. Quit. Just take the day off and enjoy life. Third thing I would tell you, if it is true, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to salvation, then no other religion can save. We believe as a church, and in my personal family, Natalie and I and our boys, Noah and Owen, believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. If you heard or you assumed something else about us or Christ Church Charlestown, then we were not clear enough. Regarding the church, it's so important that we place it on our website, on the About page, explaining what Christ Church believes about Christ. Regarding our family, we are staking our entire lives and everything else on that truth. Next, believing Jesus is the only way doesn't mean that there's no truth in other religions, but it means other religions cannot save and other religions cannot offer ultimate hope or peace with God or freedom from sin. Further, truths in Islam and Buddhism and other religions 
and other faiths serve, I pray to draw people toward Christ and the gospel. Listen, we believe there are truths in other faiths. They're not saving truths. They're not capital T truths. But I pray that those lowercase t truths will draw people into relationship with God and the gospel. Next, I would say religiosity, doing something or believing something as a tack on to the gospel, like Jesus plus whatever, or something that deters from the gospel. Religiosity in Christianity isn't exempt either. Many Christians of many denominations in America and elsewhere have created this American version of Christianity, or there's a white Christianity, or a black Christianity, or a prosperity gospel, or there's a Republican Christianity, or a Democrat Christianity, there's an affirming Christianity, a fundamentalist legalistic Christianity, and so on and so on. Anytime we add adjectives to the gospel and we're adding to it, we either try to make the way wider than it was ever intended to be, or we try to make the way narrower than it was ever intended to be. God, um, listen, Jesus didn't come to start religion. He wasn't trying to peddle religious stuff and little idols, including himself, make himself into some little trinket. He came to make a way for humans to have relationship with God that they could not create or maintain at all on our own because of sin. Next, even our pride in our community, ourselves, our city, our, our country is not helpful when added to Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. It is only Jesus, only grace. We are weak and helpless. If Boston Strong or Charlestown Pride or any other slogan seeks to sort of flex our muscles and show our lack of need for God, then it is, in fact, anti-gospel. Now, some people will say, well, J.D., that sounds weak. Exactly. That is weak. We're weak. That's the gospel. We are weak, but Jesus is strong. He was a man, a tough Jewish man who laid aside his strength and his pride and his authority to die in the most awful, painful, humiliating way. That was not a sign of his weakness. That was a sign of his strength. And we are weak and he is strong. Why would we want to add to it? And what could we add to it? C.S. Lewis once wrote, A Christian is not a man or woman who never goes wrong, but a man who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time, enabling him to repeat in some degree the kind of voluntary death which Christ himself carried out. We boast in our weakness and failure because it gives us freedom to boast in his grace and mercy and strength. Unbeliever, not yet Christian, in light of that, I want to tell you, I love you. You're on the clock. According to Jesus' words, not mine, not our churches, not any churches, you have to either accept or reject Christ on his terms. If you hear him drawing you in today, saying, come to me, follow me, trust me, surrender to me, don't reject him. Christian, 
Finally, let your allegiance be to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the way, the truth, and the life. Live with your flag planted in the ground and flying high. And with God's help, let there be no confusion from your life about whether Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. This truth is cause for urgency, but never arrogance. We're to live urgently. Four ways we do that. One is through our Christian worship. When you worship Jesus by coming to church on Facebook Live or when we meet in person, including today at 12 p.m., you are testifying to the exclusivity of the gospel. Second way we do is through Christian doctrine, learning what you believe by studying the Bible and doctrine and Christian history and apologetics. Third way we do it is through Christian living, living the Christ life, putting sin to death and following Christ in holy obedience. It wasn't just what Christians believed that made them unusual. It was how they behaved over the last 2,000 years in light of the gospel. With voices instructing us today, 20 centuries later, those first Christians we're uh, specifically countercultural and living out. And I think this is so timely and beautiful for us today to understand how the church for 2,000 years has operated. The church historically has been countercultural and living out a biblical sexuality, practicing unity despite diversity, practicing social justice and caring for the weak and marginalized, and living lives of radical generosity rooted in a conviction that eternity is long, that heaven is real, that hell is hot, and for all people, this life is but a breath and a dress rehearsal for life after this life. We have much to learn from the Christians of the last 2,000 years, from their steely allegiance to Christ. It costs them everything, often their own lives. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe it because Jesus said it. I believe it because history evidences it. I believe it because the science, the archaeology, the textual studies point to it being true. And I believe it because there's this great cloud of witnesses over the last 2,000 years who have lived it well and beautifully. And that's how we get to this faith today. Is Jesus really the only way? I believe so. Do you? A follow-up question would be wise, though, and it might be something like, am I living in such a way, in grace and truth, that validates or undermines that claim? And can I tell you the gospel? Here's the good news of the gospel. Even when you aren't living a good life or validating that faith, and man, that's me in traffic or when my bank account is low or when I'm frustrated or any of that, when we aren't living a good life or validating that faith, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. Even if you're doubting Jesus loves you, that's grace. God's not calling us to try harder or to doubt less. He came because we don't have it all together and we do struggle with doubt. And he died and he rose again to offer us a grace that will save us and a grace that will change us and a grace that will sustain us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these these friends, many of whom are brothers and sisters in Christ, some are exploring. Jesus, I thank you that you didn't mince words. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And you even went on to say, when you look at the Father, you've seen me. When you look at me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, you left the proof. 
And I believe that logic and reason and our minds and history and evidence and archaeology back up your statement. So for the one today who's never given their life to you, I pray that you would give them courage to turn from sin, trust your death, ask for forgiveness from you, and become part of your family. Lord, give people courage to ask you to save them today. For ones who are believers, God, I pray that we would plant the flag in the ground and understand this isn't about us being tougher, stronger, better, braver, uh, more convinced, but it's about grace. And out of grace, the grace that saves, sustains, and changes. And God, I pray that we would live with nothing held back in our worship and in our doctrine and in the way that we orient our lives and sacrifice and live generously and live holy. We orient ourselves around the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before you turn everything off, ChristChurchCharlestown.com slash connect. Go fill out your connection card. 12 p.m. Some of you live a little bit further away. You have to do some driving. So close everything up. Hope you got your lunch packed. Make sure you bring something to sit on or in. Make sure you bring a mask. If you're comfortable, come. If you're not well, stay home. We love you. We will see you soon. We're going to do more of these this summer. If you're fearful today, we get it. We get it and we love you. Stay home. You are with us in spirit. Some of you live further away. We will be thinking of you, may even FaceTime in with some of you. This is our first next step as a church, 425 Medford Street, across from Doherty Park. Come in if you're driving at the Shraps entrance. If you're walking, you can walk in right there across from the park. Look forward to seeing you at 12 p.m. I love you. Uh, may God bless you. May he bless you until I see you in just a few minutes. May he bless you as you walk with him this week. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, man, let's go out and be blessed as we lived on mission uh, today.